Rainmaker FM. You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, a place to be for digital entrepreneurs. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. That's rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. Welcome to the Digital Entrepreneur, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by the illuminating Jessica Frick. (laughs) Jessica, how are you today? I'm illuminated, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) How the Jackson are you? I am well. I am well, as always. And we left the last episode with the question of the week, which I think is perfect when thinking of you. How weird is too weird? When it comes to standing out, when it comes to your unique selling proposition, when it comes to really crafting that special mojo that is you and your organization. So Jess, what do you say? How weird is too weird? I think you can be as weird as you want to be, but I think that, you know, there's certain levels of weird that are appropriate for certain situations. I mean, you don't want to let your full freak flag fly (laughs) in a client pitch. Right. Um, you know, just, you know, maybe a little freak, you know, wear some, wear something a little weird or, you know, maybe make a joke that somebody would have to catch. Um, but I think when it comes to recruiting, sure, you can be super weird. I think that that would actually help you find an employee or staffer that might not otherwise come just because they resonate with you and they're like, oh my God, they get me. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you can be unique. And I think that's why, and being unique means being yourself on your best day, but truly being yourself, not trying to be something that you are not right. I mean, if you looked at me, me dyeing my hair pink does not go with my persona. Okay. It just doesn't. <laughs> I, I would stand out to be certain, but there would definitely be a disconnect and I wouldn't be able to carry it off. And so I do think you're right. I think you do have to be unique and different and really something that is memorable and remarkable. Right. And I think you don't want to be boring. Mm. Right. You do want to stand out, but you don't have to be something that you are not. Right. And I think it goes to the core set of values that you believe in yourself and the people that you want to attract. Right. The people that you want around you, be it the audience that you're trying to build online, being the customers that you're trying to sell to or being, as you pointed out, the employees or the contractors inside your organization. Right. Absolutely. If you just disappear into the background, you're going to just be part of the background noise. And if you're selling an ebook or if you're, you know, creating a new membership organization, the more people feel at home with you, mm-hmm. yeah. the more and, they're able to trust you. Yeah. And they look forward to seeing you. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of boring people out there, right? <laughs> And the more that you can infuse your work with the unique characteristics of what you do and what makes you special and really clearly articulate. And that's what I really think it comes down to is that you have to really know what it is about you and what you stand for and clearly articulate it so that it becomes a compelling part of your messaging. Right. Because it's okay. It is okay to discriminate 
against people who are not sharing in the values that you share when you're trying to build an organization, right? If you have certain values and you are clear about articulating them, there will be others that will be derisive of those values, that'll be dismissive of it, and may not find any value in it. And you know what, Jess? That's okay. It is. I think, though, a lot of people don't necessarily need permission to get Mm. weird, but I think that there's a lot of us who were perhaps freaky kids, you know, getting called out weirdo on the playground, and it was a bad thing then, but now it's an asset, and, you know, I think that it it takes some guts to make those first steps and be more you than mm-hmm. who you think they want you to be. And little by little, you can get as weird as you want to be. There you go. And, you know, I think this really comes to a head when we start talking about building up an organization, right, is that by identifying, articulating, and really understanding what makes it unique about the the organization you're creating, which really centers on the solopreneur to start with, and then expands and grows from those they bring around. It's very important from the onset to understand those unique qualities to attract the right people. And that's a little bit about what today's show is. We do have a very special guest on who is going to really talk to us about how to create up that right type of organization, be it a a standard office or be a, a remote workforce, how to really articulate that culture, how to attract the new type of talent that is out there that is very, very discerning in the type of uh, jobs they are looking for, and really understanding that by being better at understanding yourself, it may actually not only save you money in the long run, but actually help facilitate your growth. So when mm, we get, yes. nah, I know. So when we get back from this break, we will be talking to Catherine Minshew, the author of The New Rules of Work, about how you can build an organization that attracts the best people. So stay tuned. The Digital Entrepreneur is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical goods, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress right now. That's rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress. Welcome back from the break, everyone. And Jessica, it is time for our interview this week. Whom do we have? This week, we have a very special guest, Catherine Minshew. She is the CEO and founder of TheMuse.com, which is a career platform used by 50 plus million millennials to find a job, learn professional skills, or advance in their career, and by hundreds of companies looking to hire or grow their employer brand. Catherine is also a Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review contributor. She's spoken at MIT and Harvard, appeared on Today and CNN, and she's been named to Smart CEOs Future 50 and Inc.'s 35 Under 35. Most importantly of recent news, Catherine is co-author of the forthcoming book, The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook to Navigating Your Career. We're very excited to have her today. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. 
Catherine, I want to get into this because I figure I, I'm going to take a giant leap here, okay? I think you're probably an expert <laughs> in career management as well as helping companies figure out how to attract the right people. Would you say that's a, a true statement? I think it's fair enough, but it is definitely an unintentional expertise. I like to joke that I started this business because I needed the advice and I've ended up gaining so much more than I ever expected. Oh, but see, it helps when you've been there, right? <laughs> so exactly. let's let's get into this a little bit because obviously I, you know, the Muse, by the way, is a beautiful site. Congratulations to you on your success and obviously the valuable information you have there. And given whom our audience is, I want to talk a little bit about where you are seeing the trend now for people in the workplace, right? Because obviously our audience are the people that do the hiring, but I think before you can hire anyone, you need to know what is that pool of talent out there? What are they expecting? What are they looking for? So talk to us a little bit about the modern worker today and the person that's looking to manage their career. Absolutely. So one of the big uh, things that has differentiated the Muse and I think our community is that the the, the people that we cater to are often thinking about work in a fundamentally different way from perhaps, um, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And there's a number of differences, but just a couple at the high level. One is that candidates are becoming more like consumers. So it's no longer enough for a company to post up a job description and say, you know, walk right this way, come through my interview process, and maybe at the end, I'll tell you if you get an offer. Instead, candidates are taking more power and they're saying, well, why this job? Why this company? What is it that will happen to me if I join you? What will I learn? Who will I work with? What will my day-to-day -day be like? So they're becoming much more informed and discerning consumers, and companies are reacting to that by changing uh, their entire, frankly, their recruiting process, the investment in employer brand, the candidate experience that someone has as they're going through your application and interview process, all of that. Um, secondly, the types of things that people are looking for, as I mentioned, um, it's it's less about the sort of flashy perks or simply just, oh, you have a job, I want a job. Um, that is, is definitely going the way of the dinosaur. We're seeing a lot of people focus on the people, purpose, and path. So who will I be working with? Um, the purpose being the overall goal, mission of the company. What is the point? What is the, the ultimate reason we're all here together? And then path is opportunities for growth and development. This has never been more important because career paths are less linear. And so as individuals realize they need to develop skills that will take them where they want to go in their career, they're looking to employers to say, what experiences that will help me develop those skills can you provide and how will you help me grow? So it really comes down to the fact that people who are looking for a job now are not just looking for a job, right? They are looking for something a lot more. They're becoming, I would say, much more discerning, if you will, about the opportunities that they would like to pursue. Would you say that's an accurate statement? Exactly. It's completely true. And it's changing the entire way that employers are thinking about attracting those people. Gotcha. So let's talk about that a little bit, because obviously, you know, if you have a supply of people out there that are much more discerning, that are much more discriminating, looking for the three P's, as you mentioned out there, how as either a solopreneur looking to scale up or an established business where maybe I'm doing a lot of my work with people who are not necessarily in an office, how should I be thinking about company culture and really trying to appeal to this more discriminating audience out there? 
Yeah. So I think the first mistake that a lot of people make is thinking that there's some sort of generic quote unquote best culture or attractive culture that exists that they should emulate. Instead, the most successful people figure out what it is that they already have to offer to, to offer. So what's authentic to the opportunity to their business, whether it's a one person solo shop looking for a you know a number two or someone else to help out or a much larger and more established business. There's a lot of ways to do this, but one thing that I find really helpful is if you are in a position where you already have existing employees, you can actually get some of your best recruiting content by asking them, what made you take this job? What drew you to this opportunity? And you can gather and sort of capture some really interesting content about what already brings people to your open roles from the people who've done it. And frankly, if you're a solo entrepreneur or you're looking for your first, second, third person and you're very small, that's an opportunity in and of itself. There are people out there who are specifically drawn to and excited by that sort of thing. And so I would put that front and center when you're recruiting. So I'd say first you have to figure out what is it that sets you apart? What are those kind of unique identifiers that might make someone say, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then secondly, you've got to make sure you get those in front of the right people. So whether that's making sure they're on your career site, if you're at the stage where you have a career site, making sure that your existing employees or your network is sort of informed and empowered to be able to spread the word. And then, you know, the simple job description. I think the days when you could just post looking for a, a salesperson or a software engineer and get a bunch of great people in the door, those days are numbered. And uh, the best job descriptions have a section not just what do I want from this candidate or what are the qualifications, but also what we can offer you. Why Why would you want this role? And um, it's incredible the sort of uptick you can see in applications and in conversion from people who look at your job description to actually apply when you write the right things and you really think about the person reading it as you're creating that. And of course, there's a value when you do this as a company or a solopreneur, because it forces you to really think about the people that would fit well with you, right? And I think that's the other side of it is that too often businesses that are growing, especially are like, we just need bodies in the door. If they can spell their name properly and they have, you know, I can check off on the resume, the things that I think are important, bring them in. And I think that does a disservice as the company and organization grows because you're not sitting there putting in the right mix of people into the organization. Exactly. Everyone who has worked on a team knows the impact of having somebody who's just the wrong person for that team. Now, it doesn't mean they're not a great person. They may be uh, they may be wonderful. Frankly, they could be very difficult. It's more about the fit and do their preferred ways of working, their priorities, their core values as a professional align with what the company or the team needs. And I think that's so important for people to keep in mind when they're hiring. It's interesting because one of the most popular exercises in the book, in the new rules of work, is from the candidate's perspective. It's helping people look at all of their um, look at their career values essentially. And we have a long list in the book. But you know, someone who's seeking creativity, flexibility, autonomy, they're going to be looking for very different opportunities. And frankly, a very different employee, motivated in very different ways from someone who might be seeking um, stability, compensation, the ability to move up 
in a very predictable fashion, uh, prestige. There are a lot of different work values. And so for an individual candidate, there's a lot of utility in understanding what really motivates you at the end of the day. And for a company, I think it can be so helpful to make sure that when you're bringing somebody in, that their values are aligned with what you can provide. Because frankly, if you bring someone in under, um, I don't want to say false pretenses, but you know, I think everyone's familiar with that situation where a company sort of oversells itself and what it's offering. That's not going to end up well for anybody. And, you know, best case, you'll have someone who leaves after a short period of time. Worst case, you could have someone who's a long-term part of your team, but ultimately is a bit toxic. You know, and that's important that you go into this. And it's kind of funny because to me, it sounds like marketing your company to the people that are going to help you build your company, right? And do those things that we as online marketers would normally do to both to attract an audience, but also to attract an audience of potential employees. And that to me makes a ton of sense because every organization is different. And the clear, better way that you articulate that, the more clear you articulate that, the better the results will be both in building the customer base as well as building the employee base. So it's generally the same type of rules. I want to go in though, because, you know, one of the things that you, when you were talking about all this, what kept on coming into my mind was the fact that the better that you can clearly articulate the core values, unique proposition, the type of person that would fit with your organization, there is a monetary side to that because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes I would take less pay to be with the right organization where pay sometimes where I get it in the extreme is only to compensate for the fact that I, I I don't really want to work there, but they're going to pay me so much to be there. So talk a little bit about the role of paying and and the, and the whole salary side when it comes to these these very discerning uh, potential employees. Absolutely. You're, you're spot on. The business impact is real. And I can give you a million examples, but just two that come to mind. The first is, as you said, in how much you have to pay people to join the team. There's a, a great statistic, and I don't have it on hand right now, but it's something like uh, the average person would accept 19% lower salary to join a company that they were really excited about or where they felt like it was a good fit compared to a company that did not have uh, an employer brand or sort of a positive association that resonated with them. So right then and there, that is, uh, that's been shown out by data. I would say it's very true in, in my personal experience. And, you know, we have over 600 companies on the Muse. We hear it from them as well. When you find someone who is excited, um, for them, first of all, it's more about joining a tribe or a community and being part of what you do and less about, well, this other opportunity is paying me $15,000 more, so thanks so much, sorry. So on the attraction front, it certainly has a business impact in terms of whether you can attract great people at sort of a normal market rate, or frankly, if you're a growing company, sometimes even below market versus whether you really have to overpay to convince people to come. And so that's sort of number one. Second is retention. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen this where somebody, a great employee, will get that offer from a big business. I I heard recently about a situation that happened a couple weeks ago. It was a star employee. They had a a friend in their network um, reach out and ultimately made that person an offer for, I think it was something like $100,000 more in base salary. I mean, it was a massive difference. And of course, this person you know, thought about it and agonized because that is a major lifestyle change. The uh, original company could go up by a 
tiny amount, but not even close to that, to that jump. And ultimately the person decided to stay. And part of that was that they believed in the, uh, the, the culture, the experience, the, the place that they were. And so I think that for, um, for, for leaders, you know, it's funny to me and, and I don't want to be, you know, I'll, I'll try and keep this really nice, but you know, leaders have always been saying, Oh, our people, the people are the most important thing. But when you look at people's actions, in fact, they often don't act in a way that indicates that their people are the most important thing. And yet, how does anything get done in your organization? It's your employees, your team, the more that you can both invest in those people, treat them well, but also, again, as we were talking about, making sure that you have um, something unique to offer and that you're really being thoughtful about the employee experience, I believe that's going to be more and more critical to both attracting but also keeping great people because information asymmetry is going away and those great people are going to find somewhere that does value them if they're not valued at your business. So let's talk a little bit, you know, being a finance guy, I love the financial side of the employee equation and especially non-financial incentives. So I am here, I'm trying to grow my business. I'm looking and following the advice that you give about really articulating what makes us unique, what really drives us to attract people who are inspired and want to join that tribe, if you will. Um, But part of it is going to be pay. The other part are going to be the incentives that I put in to both retain and and to encourage both there's financial and non-financial. So let's talk a little bit about that as I'm crafting up my package because I've, I've got a great story. I've clearly articulated it. I've got to pay that may or may not be above market, but that's not the only thing in the equation. What is it that as an organization, I need to start thinking about as far as incentives as part of this discussion with potential hires, as well as current people I've got in my uh, shop already? Exactly. So I think this is a great point because when people think about um, attracting it, as you said, there's a lot of incentives and a lot of benefits and um, and things that employees are looking for that, you know, again, some of them are financial, but a lot of them are not. I will say I'm going to go through a couple of different examples. Not every example is right for every company. And this goes back to figuring out your specific, unique a value proposition, essentially, for lack of better mm-hmm. words, as an employer. Um, so don't feel like you've got to do all of these. But um, for example, some organizations have been incredibly successful in investing in things like flexible working hours, the ability to work from home, um, bringing uh, children into the office. We actually have a baby at work policy at the Muse for infants that are under six months old that's been very successful. And that's been um, tremendous in terms of you know, both people with small children feeling um, welcome and feeling excited about the company, but also I think it's actually we've seen retention benefits across the board. Um, you also see that you know there are um, companies that will take a strong focus on investing in learning and growth. And so I was talking about this earlier, but I think that you know there are ways to do this that both have a financial and a non-financial impact. So financially, obviously, um, companies that can provide uh, formal training, um, that can send their employees to conferences or other external learning opportunities. Um, That's obviously a huge draw for a lot of people that are thinking about building skills and experiences in their career. But non-financially, I think there are also some really interesting opportunities, whether it's giving people the chance to uh, rotate into a different department, uh, pick up a new skill, work with someone that's in a different field or different uh, part of the business to, again, see more about what they do. These sorts of things can be really big draws for people. Um, and I, I think that it's it pays to be creative. I'll give you another just sort of 
Quick example, um, when the Muse was very small, we didn't have a lot of budget for anything. Um, in fact, you know, the, the business now is over 130 full-time employees, but the first, you know, the first two years we were, um, we were, you know, three and then five and then seven and, and, and grew very quick, uh, very sorry, very slowly. But um, a couple of things we did that, that people have since told me really made the difference. One was I really got to know what motivated each person and did my best to provide that. Now, you can't do that as easily at 100 people, but you <laughs> yeah. can at three and five and seven. And it's incredible. And, and whether that's, um, you know, I, I'll give you a silly example, but there was um, one of our, our early team members, um, our kind of lead uh, marketer, was just a huge basketball fan. And I happened two months after I learned that to get uh, an, an invite to an event where I think Alan Iverson was speaking and I couldn't go. And so I reached out and I said, can I send somebody from my team? And I sent Elliot and it was, you know, it was this huge, exciting thing for him. Um, and I think he appreciated that, that I remembered. We also would, because we were very small, we would ap approach conferences and say, you know, we can't afford to pay your ticket price, but can we do X, Y, Z or, or promote you on our social right. channels in advance and send somebody for free? A lot of conferences would say yes. And so we were able to get professional development opportunities for the team without investing a huge amount of money. So, um, you know, I can talk more. I think it's, it's <laughs> really useful for people to think about um, all of the additional incentives, but whether it's, you know, professional development and growth, is it flexibility and work-life integration? Um, is it upgraded software and tools and the type of things they'll be using in their day-to-day? -day? Um, you know, people are motivated in very um, diverse ways. And frankly, that's a great thing for the world. But as a employer, and especially as someone who's leading a small team, you have a unique opportunity to really understand people on an individual level and then help give them the thing that's going to most specifically motivate and excite them. And I think that is very, very powerful. So I want to kind of end our conversation because if you've ever read The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, um, it was interesting how the protagonist uh, in the story went from running their own shop to going back to work to, again, coming through the trials and tribulations in the story. And I think a lot of online entrepreneurs at some point will see failure. And it's sad, but it's true. And talk to us a little bit about, look, I've been running my own online shop for a while, okay? And it's not going as well, or I may need to augment my income by getting a, a, a permanent job. Talk to us a little bit about kind of coming back from that solopreneur world and re-entering the marketplace. And of course, in Silicon Valley, you see this all the time, right? Hey, I want to do my startup and when it doesn't work, somebody go gets a job. Talk to us a little bit about re-entering the workforce from that solopreneur, or very, very small business environment. Yeah. So firstly, I think uh, from a mindset perspective, the most successful people are ones that realize they have developed some incredibly valuable skills as a solopreneur and that going back into a more traditional uh, workforce doesn't necessarily mean that they are sort of giving up on that path, but that in fact, it's an opportunity to see how another business does things, polish the types of skills that you would get at a larger organization versus a small one, and ultimately go back if you want into being a solo entrepreneur in the future armed with more. So I think looking at it that way can be really helpful. And then secondly, um, I think that there's no rule book that says you have to go get a job doing what you were doing before you were a solo entrepreneur. And sometimes Sometimes people think that because they're like, well, this is what I'm qualified to do. But one of the things about the new rules of work, and this is a premise that the muse.com is built on and that the book is, uh, is, is honestly built on as well, 
is that your career is determined by the skills you have and whether you can adequately convey those to people, to new people. Um, it's not necessarily a line of experience or a degree or a credential. I think this is incredible news for solo entrepreneurs because, again, you tend to have picked up a tremendous number of skills in what you do day in and day out. And so this is where I think writing out um, a, a cover letter, I mean, actually before that, even a statement, what is it that you do well? What could you bring to an organization? And not just focusing, it's obviously very tempting to focus on the functional things, you know, for example, let's say you're a, you're a pro digital marketer, but you've also probably had experience wrangling complex projects or dealing with certain financials or understanding a business from three different sides because you've been doing it. And so thinking a bit more broadly and another exercise we recommend in the book is talking to a few folks who know you well about what would you say my strengths are? What do you feel like I'm, I'm excellent at? What, I, what could I bring to a new organization? Because people will see things in you that you take for granted in yourself. And those can sometimes be the most powerful. And then I would frankly lay those out on a list. Um, firstly, it's just great uh, sort of to, to regain your confidence. It can be the basis for updating your resume or your cover letters. And it can be a good cheat sheet before you go into to an interview, making sure that you kind of hearken back to examples of these skills that you possess, uh, because that is ultimately what's going to make that transition more smooth. Catherine Minshew, thank you so much for being on the show. The name of the book is The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. We truly appreciate you joining us and sharing your insight. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Hey, everyone. This is Sean Jackson, the host of The Digital Entrepreneur. And I want to ask you a simple question. What is your business framework for selling digital goods online? Now, if the question perplexes you, don't worry, you are not alone. Most people don't realize that the most successful digital entrepreneurs have a framework or a general process for creating and selling their digital goods in the online space. And one of the best free resources is Digital Commerce Academy. Digital Commerce Academy combines online learning with case studies and webinars created by people who make a living selling digital goods online. And the best part is that this material is free when you register. Are you interested in joining? Well, I'll make it easy for you. If you're listening to the show on your phone and are in the continental United States, I want you to send a text message to 313131 with the keyword digits, D-I-G-I-T-S. And when you send that text message, we will send you a link to the registration form right to your phone. Are you outside the United States? Don't worry. Just send us an email to digits at rainmaker.fm. Either way, we'll send you a link to the registration form so that you can sign up for free for Digital Commerce Academy. And as a special bonus, we will also subscribe you to our newsletter when you text or email us so that you can stay informed with the latest insights from the show. And don't worry, we respect your privacy and we will not share your email or phone number and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So if you want to start building or improving your framework for selling digital goods online, then please send a text to 313131 with the keyword digits or send us an email at digits at rainmaker.fm. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back from the break. And now it's time for our recommendations, Jess. And I've got one that is directly applicable to our guest today, but it's not her book. 
<laughs> what is it, John? Well, it so happens that on her site, in addition to the book that they're promoting at themuse.com, they also have this ebook called Employer Branding 101. And it's an ebook, it's a download. Go ahead and take a, a moment to go to themuse.com forward slash employers uh, with an S and download the book because here's why. I think much of our audience are online marketers, they understand the art of communicating, inspiring people to act. And of course, whether it's an audience that you're looking to turn into customers or potential employees that you're looking to hire, this type of understanding of branding is something I think our audience would get right off the bat. And to know that they already have the skill, this book I think would help reinforce it. So go to themuse.com forward slash employers and download her Employer Branding 101 book. That's my recommendation. That's a great recommendation. Mine is completely the other way though. Uh-oh. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about research lately. Mm. Um as far as, you know, keywords and ads in the online space and I want to recommend SpyFu. Ooh. You can, yeah, you can learn about them at spyfu.com. What SpyFu excels at is competitive research. So uh -huh. you can actually type in competitors' websites and find out exactly what they're doing online to give you a better idea on what you should be doing or might consider doing or what you might want to stay away from. Okay, okay. So spyfu.com, definitely well-known and absolutely somewhat, you know, uh, uh, devious, if you will, but not really because it's all information that is out there. So spyfu.com is just recommendation. All righty, I like that. But, you know, Sean, you said devious, and that makes me think more about the question that I wanted to ask next week, if you will indulge me. I will. So my question is, should you be doing competitive research? Should you be paying attention to what your competitors are doing at all? Or is that going to distract you? Ooh, good question. So what say you? I think you have to. I think oh. if you don't know what your competitors are doing, even if you think you don't have a competitor, I think you should at least know what other people who are doing in similar spaces are doing so that you can better create that unique selling proposition and really kill it. Well, I will take the counter side of that argument and say that if you focus too much on what your competitors are doing, you may not be focusing enough on what you should be doing. So <laughs> I, I can see how that would be there. Like, this is a genuine question. I, I think it could go either way. <laughs> I think it could. And we will find out how it evolves and our conclusion on the next episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.